0: Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. All right. Amen. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you again for this time of worship. We thank you for our next-door neighbors who are sharing worship with us as well. And Father, we just, um, we pray for the word this morning. I pray that you would anoint my mind and my heart, Father. May I communicate your word clearly and succinctly. May I utter whatever heaven has to say to this congregation this morning. May it bring about change and inspiration to all of the hearers. And may we not only be hearers of this word that we hear this morning, but may we be doers. And may the seed of your word fall on the good ground of our hearts in the name of Jesus Amen. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody looks about like me, a little tired. Is everybody tired this morning or am I the only one? As we get into the word this morning, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. And of course, if you don't have your Bible, I'm gonna buy you one. No, I'm just kidding. It's gonna be up on the screen. There's something about just reading the word of God yourself, amen? Matthew Chapter 26, verse 36. When you're there, if you just say, I'm there, or amen, either one works. Verse 36, and we're going to um, conclude at verse 47. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. I want everybody to say on three, Gethsemane. This is important. One, two, three. Gethsemane. Gethsemane. He came to a place called Gethsemane. I want you to remember that. And said to the disciples, sit here a while while I go and pray over there. And then he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death, stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, oh, my father, if it is possible, this is key, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. In other words, Jesus is saying, I really don't want this to happen, but if this is the only way out, not my will, But your will. Verse 40. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, not my will, but your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, and their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Everybody say, Amen. Amen. Most people think, and you would probably be right, that Jesus died on the top of a hill called Calvary. Say Calvary. Shortly after this portion of scripture I read, they beat Jesus and led him through the garden to the praetorium into a place where the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the religious leaders were going to judge Jesus for what they called blasphemy blasphemy was um, not only a sin in those days but it was punishable by death so as he stood in front of the judgment of the rulers of the law that day they plucked the beard out of Jesus the Bible says that they punched him and they spat on him they ridiculed him they took a crown of thorns and hewn it or or did I say that right, hewn? They weaved it into a crown and they stuffed it on Jesus' head. They put a robe on him. They hit him with a reed upside his head while he had the crown of thorns to deepen the thorns that were already wrapped around his head. And they mocked him and bowed to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Shortly after they made their final judgment, they were satisfied just a little. So they brought him in front of Pontius Pilate, who was the governor of Rome. And as he sits before the Roman governor, the Sadducees cry out, crucify him. So wanting to satisfy the religious leaders, the law, Jesus Jesus is ordered to be tied to a whipping post, thinking that it would satisfy these religious leaders. They thought maybe it would teach Jesus a lesson. They begin to beat Jesus with what they call a cat of nine tails. Praise the Lord. A cat of nine tails. A cat of nine tails was comprised of either a wooden handle or a handle that was uh, weaved with leather. And at the end of it were, were nine belts attached with metal, bone, and glass. They whipped him until they were out of breath. And once one Roman soldier would get out of breath, they would hand the whipping uh, of the the cat of nine tails to another, and they would continue to whip Jesus. The historians of that day tell us the whippings were so bad that Jesus' entriums were hanging out. Bones were exposed. The whole goal of this type of torture was to beat the person until the brink of death. And if that wasn't bad enough, they take Jesus off of the whipping post and lead him up Calvary's side and they make him carry his own cross. Of course, he's brutally beaten, dismayed, wearied. He, has, he meets a person on the way called Simon and Simon helps him bury the cross. And Jesus ends up being nailed to a cross at the top of Calvary. Now all that that gruesome detail that I just gave you of his death, it's evident that Jesus died by hanging on a cross and by experiencing such a brutal beating. But I wanna suggest to you that Jesus didn't first die on the cross. I wanna suggest to you this morning That Jesus may have died externally on the cross on Calvary, which is called the skull, but I want to suggest to you this morning that Jesus didn't necessarily die internally on the cross. He died internally in a place called Gethsemane, and that's where that's what I want to talk about this morning. My message this morning is entitled "Beauty and Brokenness." I want you to look at somebody and say, "There's beauty." In your brokenness. Now, I really want you to look at them this morning. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to say, There is beauty in your brokenness. You know, we really hear a whole lot of messages these days. I don't know if you do as as much as I do, but I do listen to a lot of different messages. I, I don't know if it's the pastor vein in me or it's because I'm a minister, but I like to hear what's being taught from the pulpit and what's going on and how the Word of God is being communicated today because doctrine and truth is very, very important to the quality of our life in Christ, right? Whether we're listening to doctrinal things, things that line up with the Scripture, versus feel good messages. Amen. And I think we're hearing a lot of foofy stuff. You know, some friends of mine, we were talking, it was actually Matt and Moses and Kelly and I, and we were, we were talking about uh, some doctrinal things as it relates to, to deliverance. I came out from underneath the deliverance ministry, which I love, it's here locally. And we were just talking about casting out devils and just different doctrines and how important it is uh, for us to communicate doctrinal truth when we're teaching. There's people who actually listen to these messages that we communicate just to make sure that we stay in line with the word of God. Because we can get up here and say lots of neat things and maybe encourage you and get you all excited, but if it doesn't line up with God's truth, then it will be less effective in your life. We must be doctrinal. Everybody say, we must be doctrinal. We must preach the word of God in the fullness of its truth. But there is uh, certain movements that are happening nowadays. And there's a huge movement movement with the young people, the youth, between 18 and 25. And they are getting very much caught up in spiritualism. Now, I'm okay with being spiritual as long as you're biblical. But I see a movement that's arising in the church that's giving a really feel-good messages, that's talking about, you know, manifestations and healings. And all these are great. And all these we will do if God permits But the problem with being only about getting caught up in everything, everything feeling good, and God wants to make you prosperous, which he does. God wants to bless you, which he does. He wants to do all these amazing things. But the problem with that, the problem with that is that if we hinge our experience with Christ only on feel-good things, when you go through trial and tribulation, you'll think either God has rejected you or he's abandoned you. And this is the problem with the church today is that we think that when God uses tools, say tools, to break you, you may think that he's mad at you or has forsaken you. And that's why I wanna dive into this this morning. I wanna talk about the beauty in brokenness. Because we talked about the, the, the dark side of the cross, which by the way, when God looked at that cross, he seen sin. But when we look at the cross, we see redemption. I wanna teach you this morning on how to look at the cross through the Lord's eyes. Amen? One of the first things that brokenness does, one of the beauties in brokenness, and this is like a cuss word today, it creates obedience. Brokenness creates obedience. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down this morning. Brokenness creates obedience. Until you are tired with your own results, that you've produced in your life, I want you to think about your life right now. I want you to get it in your mind's eye right now. The results that you've produced have been decisions that you have made. And until you get tired of your own production, you will never become obedient to the Lord. Until you are tired of producing either the same mundane things or going around that same circle, I'm 50 years old and I shouldn't be at this point in my life right now. I'm 40 years old. I'm 30 years old. I should be further along right now. It's nobody's fault. Don't leave the church. It's nobody, nobody's fault but ours for the things that we've produced in life. But at some point, we have to allow enough brokenness and enough realization of, and enough um, frankness with ourselves to see what we've produced and be honest enough to say, I'm not where I should be. And when you come to that place, it produces brokenness enough in your heart to where you say, I'm done doing it my way. You guys aren't saying nothing because I think you're not done doing it your way. God's ultimate desire is for a person to come to a place where he's so yielded to him that this person doesn't move nor breathe or make decisions unless they consult the Lord. And it's in that place that you become more and more effective because the Bible says that the righteous steps, the steps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord. Amen? And so we we want our steps to be ordered into a place of promise. But you can only enter into a place of promise when you live an obedient life. Amen? Who has kids in here? You guys should really be saying amen. Brokenness inspires obedience. King David said it like this. In Psalms 119, you can can just take a note of it. It will not be up on the screen. In 119.67, it says this. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now... I keep your word. Before I continue in this message, I need you to know this, that there's there's three different ways that your life can produce things, okay? Moses and I were talking about this because sometimes people think that God puts sickness on them. Let me just tell you, God does not put sickness on people to teach people lessons, let me just clear the air right now. God will not bring you through certain hardships that are, it has to be in line with his word. So God doesn't teach people through sickness and through disease. He will use it though. He doesn't cause it, but he will use it. You'll get lessons because God, the, the Bible says in Romans eight twenty eight. God works out all things. Everybody say all. all. All means all. God works out all things together for them that love the Lord. Amen. And who are called according to his purposes. Your sin, our sin, my sin can produce chastening in your life. Our own decisions. But if it's not, if, if that sickness is not of the Lord and it's not because of our sin, for the believer, there is no such thing as happenstance. So anything that is happening in your life, anything that's gnawing, wherever God is trying to break you, wherever you're sensing some breaking and you are a child of the most high God, know this that God has sent that tool to break you. Amen. We don't preach about that anymore because as our church won't be filled, they'll be half full like this. But God will use difficult things. See, we love the result of what God produces. We love it. But we don't like the tools that he uses to break us. Amen? And God knows exactly what will create ultimate satisfaction in your, in your life because the heart is deceitful. In, in, in Jeremiah 17 9, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? But the Lord specifically designed you and, and, and knows how to satisfy you and knows what end will satisfy you. And so he will create situations and circumstances to process you so that you can end up at XYZ. Amen. Amen. I I wrote it down like this. When you come to a place where you're fully surrendered, you'll find rest. When you're in a place that you have been fully broken, you will not only live an obedient life, you will have full peace. You will have a life full of peace because you realize he's got the whole world in his hands. Come on, sing it. Whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got your whole world in his hands. Your steps are ordered by him. And so never fight the process of God's breaking because ultimately he breaks you to build you. I remember reading this past week in Jeremiah and it says that the potter was forming the clay. And something peculiar happened. It says while he was forming it, He wasn't pleased with how it was turning out. And it says that the clay was marred in his hands. It meant he broke the clay and started reshaping it. You know, here's the good thing about the Lord. It doesn't matter if you're 40, 50, or 60. God can expedite things and get you to where you should have been, even if you've made wrong mistakes in your life. And that's, what a good, that's how, much of a God, how good of a God we serve is that he can hit the fast forward button just like he did with the disciples when they were crossing over. It says when Jesus stepped on the boat, immediately they were where they were supposed to be. So God is simply just waiting for us to fully surrender. I just felt something from the Lord. There is somebody in this room right now saying in their mind, when does the breaking process end? Because I've been in it for years. There may not be somebody, there might be some bodies. And you want me to tell you when it ends, here's what the Holy Spirit wants you to know. When the breaking process doesn't matter any longer. That's when you know you are ready. Because when you're in a place of complete brokenness and utter abandonment to the Lord, you find when you're there at that point, not before that, not when you're saying, I wish this would end. I wish this story or this chapter would come to an end. It's, it's in that place that you find complete rest in him because you finally come to the realization, he's all I need. <laughs> he's all I need. And that's the place that David was at. Speaking of broken men. Number two, brokenness makes you useful brokenness makes you useful. I want you to picture in your mind's eye right now with me, I want you to picture this beautiful black stallion, a 2,000 pound animal, jet black with that satin sheen to him. How many love horses and animals? Think about him in the wild. Do you think you would have a crack at jumping on his back and riding him? Probably not because it's power that's not restrained. I'm gonna use an old word because I'm old sold um, But when you saddle-bust him, that's what you call saddle-busting. But when you saddle-bust the stallion, you get the enjoyment of both power and obedience. So God will use tools in your life to make you useful for him because you are unuseful until he saddle-busts you. A lot of people say... Um, A lot of people say, I I, I don't want to, I don't want to project weakness, but what meekness is, it's not weakness. It's power under restraint. It's power under control. And so what God does in the believer's life, because he knows they'll be useful, but they're not useful when they're wild and running. They're only useful after they've been saddle busted, disciplined and broken in the hands of the master so that he can use them for his service. Amen. You know, when I was a little boy, I grew up, I did play a lot of baseball growing up. I don't do much. I don't play much sports anymore. I just don't have the time for it, but I still love sports. All the guys talk about sports and I can't keep up with them because I don't really watch TV too much anymore. But I do remember as a little boy, there was this guy who, who. what do they call that when they put it? The. the the dip in their in their gums here, and they spit. He was one of those baseball players. He, I think, he played amateur ball, and he would, as we would go play. I didn't own, um, I didn't have a um, a, a mitt, um, a golf uh, a golf glove, a baseball glove. It's been a long time. And so he'd let me, he would let me use his glove. Now, the thing about this glove, it was really, really worn and old. It was probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 years old, but it was really broken and I could catch the ball with it really easy. And so I got this bright idea 20 years later. So the other day I'm at Walmart and I buy myself a glove because my son Cohen has a glove because we like to go outside and throw the ball. But now he's getting big enough to where it actually hurts when he throws it. So I needed a glove. This glove was nice and stiff. And so I go to catch the ball one time and I miss it. Two times, I miss it. Three times, I miss it. And I'm thinking to myself, why can't I catch these balls? Uh, you know, I'm trying to blame it on him because he's six-year-old. I'm just, throw it directly to daddy. You need to put it right here in the glove. <laughs> and so I got this revelation. The ball, light bulb came on in my mind is that this glove hasn't been broken into. And so what I begin to do over the next several weeks is when I would go out there and he's, I throw the ball to him and he's going to chase the ball because I can't throw that well anymore. I'm breaking the glove in and bending it and moving it back and forth. But over the past several weeks, there's a few balls that I'm missing now because I'm breaking the glove in. And there's other things that God will use in your life to break things, but anything that is of quality or is effective needs to be broken into. Cars need to be broken into. Couches or your love seat needs to be broken into. That glove needed to be broken into to be made useful. And the believer's life has to be broken in order to be made useful or more effective. It's not that you're not usable, it's just we're just less effective when we're not broken by the Lord. And God will use brokenness to make you useful. Somebody say, God uses brokenness to make me useful. Amen. Until your human nature is dethroned, your use for God will be limited because human nature is limited and God's nature is unlimited. And as long as your human nature is in the driver's seat, you and I will live a limited life. As long as you're the driver of your own life, you will be limited because we are limited beings. But when you get in line in a place of brokenness with the Lord where he can use you and do what he desires to do, not what you desire to do, your life is enhanced and becomes more effective because you've moved your agenda out of the way and now heaven's agenda can get through you. Amen? Amen? I like when y'all say amen. Help me preach. Number three. Brokenness creates wholeness. Brokenness creates wholeness. Is this for anybody today? Am I the only broken one in the room? Am I the only one that has something that God is pointing at in my life that he is saying, I wanna break you in this area. I wanna break you of this attitude. I wanna break you of this dependence. I wanna break you of this whatever it is, amen? Brokenness creates wholeness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I'm gonna read that one more time. I want you to get this. For he made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, he wasn't acquainted with sin, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Remember at the beginning of the service, I said that when God looked at the cross, he saw sin. But when we look at the, look at the cross, we see redemption. Redemption. Do you know that a cross represents a curse and Jesus became the curse so that we could be freed from the curse? Does everybody get that? Do you know in the wilderness, in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the Old Testament, when Moses was in the wilderness, there were snakes biting the people, biting the children of Israel and people were dying. And then God gives Moses, this is before Jesus, gives Moses a command and he says, I want you to go get a piece of brass and I want you to beat it in the form of the thing that bit you. And then he held the, he held the, the, the snake up and he says, every time you guys look up, you'll be healed. This is before Jesus. Do you remember Jesus coins this in the New Testament when he says, when the son, is lifted man, when the son of man is lifted up, I'll draw. He said, even as Moses lifted up the, uh, the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. Do you guys remember that? And you still see that in modern medicine that you used, he used sin to heal us. So when I say he will use brokenness to heal you, here's what I mean. I wish we had the picture of this, but even in modern medicine, when you go to a Florida hospital and you look at that image and you look at that sign, it has the stick, the cross, and the snake. Because God will use what's harming you to heal you. Even modern medicine that is still practice. What is the flu made of? The flu. It's made from the flu shot. So so, so people use, modern medicine uses uh, sickness to build up your tolerance in your body so that you're not affected by the thing that you could possibly get. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. So it's no surprise to me that when Jesus was in the garden, in another verse, and and, and I believe it's in in Luke, it says that Jesus was under such intense pressure while in the garden praying, God, take this cup away from me. I don't wanna drink it. It says his, his corpuscles broke and his sweat became like great drops of blood. It's no surprise to me that he began to sweat blood because you know what the word Gethsemane means? The place where the olive is crushed. The place where the olive is crushed. What good is is an olive without olive oil? And oil is still used even today. I don't know if I could say this, but I won't won't coin the, the name of the company. But there's still essential oils that are used today in modern medicine to bring about healing. So God will crush the olive. He will crush me. He will crush you to extract what's needed in order to bring about wholeness in one's life. I was sitting with Matt Gilman, Matt Gilman and I both, and I won't say too much, but him and I were sitting at my table before he decided to become the worship leader of this church and I had asked him and I sat down and him and I had came through a season of brokenness and I coined this. I don't know if you remember this, Matt. And I said, even in spite of what we've lost, in spite of what we lost because of what we've gone through. I said, we have what God wanted us to have. He only wanted the oil, not the olive. And so let us not grieve over the olive. Let us not grieve over what we lose. Let's rejoice over what God brought out of this situation. And that's what people have a problem doing. They see the dead olive. Look at what I lost. Look at this relationship that I've lost. Look at this financial... Uh, tragedy. Look look at what my kid is doing. Look at all these, you know, being a pessimist, looking at all these negative things in my life. And they're looking at the death of the olive, not realizing that God extracted the oil out of it. And that's what he wanted you to have. So don't focus on the death of the olive. Rejoice that he's extracted something good to bring about healing and wholeness in your life and in my life. Amen. Point number four, and I'm almost done. Brokenness, and I love this. Brokenness breaks self-will. Brokenness breaks self-will. I want everybody to say that. Brokenness breaks self-will. Here's where people mess up is that they think God is trying to break their spirit. He's not trying to break their spirit. He's trying to break their will. Who has kids? I want to see your hands. Wow, you guys are busy. <laughs> Kidding. When you see your child doing something that you know will ultimately produce bad results later on if they learn a pattern of this behavior, if they make this a pattern. So you, what we do is we discipline them. We all have different disciplines, but why do we discipline them? Amen. We discipline them to hone their behavior in, to produce right results, to produce a good attitude, to extract selfishness from them, right? Some of us beat them, some of us put them in timeout. Amen. <laughs> hey I was just seeing who beats their children. I'm just seeing her. I'm just kidding. I'll meet you after service. We discipline our children not to break their will. That's not our desire. We simply want to, I'm sorry, we don't want to break their spirit. We want to break their will, their will to do wrong. Because we we know if they get into a pattern of doing these type of things, it's going to produce devastating results later on. So it's the same thing with the horse. It's it's not, the horse trainer's uh, desire is not to break the will of the horse, I'm sorry, the, the, the spirit of the horse. The spirit in the person is what God, God wants to, to enhance, to strengthen. But what he does wanna do is he wants to break the will of self-independence. And that's what God does to us. But we kick and scream like children when God is up to breaking the will. There's something in your life that right now that you want to happen and is not happening because it's in your mind, it's my will be done. But God wants us to come to a place where we are delivered and we are freed from self-independence and we come to a place where we are fully dependent. Let me ask you this. Don't be mad at me or throw rocks at me. I'm gonna stand up here just so you guys don't hit me. If, if your will had the power to change your situation, then how come things haven't changed? Oh Jesus, I see someone squirming out there right now. Because it's God's way of showing you it's not your way or the highway. And and this whole thing where we think we can get God to move, I I just say, I say this in complete love and I'm only 33, so I may not have the full, I may not carry the full weight when I say this because I still have some years to, to, to live. But we think we gotta get God to bend to our will when it should be the other way around. It's not my will be done, it's his will be done. So if we have the power to change it, that independent spirit, then why haven't things changed? I've had to question that in my own personal life. If if I had the power to change certain things, then why aren't they changed? It's because God is wanting us to come to a place of full surrender like Jesus did in the, in the garden and saying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. If things don't change, it's because God has left it there lovingly because he's looking to extract change in your life. He's looking to break your will, not your spirit. He's looking to build you up, not break you down. But in order for you to be fully built up, we have to do things in his way. We have to learn obedience through the breaking. We have to allow our self-will to be broken, and we have to allow him to do it his way on his time. Amen? Amen. You know, I can't help but uh, think about Peter. How, how much Peter's will was broken. We were talked about the other day, and we also talked uh, about this during worship service on Thursday, um, how, how Peter how independent he was and how God actually allowed him out on the water to walk on the water. He said, Peter, come. And Peter begins to walk on water. I I tend to believe that that Jesus had every intention of allowing Peter to sink. I believe he had full intention of saying, come, allowing him to experience walking on water and knowing he would sink because he wanted to break Peter's will. I believe if if he were, I can't validate this through scripture, but I believe in his own mind, Jesus thought, I want to show you, you can walk on water, but only as long as I allow it because he wanted Peter to become fully dependent on him. He didn't want, because if Peter would have walked on water, he would have became prideful. He struggled with pride, but not only did he begin to sink. And then Jesus says, come out, come out of the water, Peter. Let me pick you and pick, pick you back up and put you in the boat it created more dependence on Jesus because he finally came to the realization, I can't do this apart from you and you can't do this apart from the Lord. Whatever it is in your life that's, that, that is not changing, when you come to that place that Peter did, I'm sorry, Lord, I can't do this myself, you'll begin to walk on water. But it's only when you're broken and when your self-will is shattered. And I remember when Peter said, if all forsake you, if all forsake you if all run from you lord i will never forsake you i will go to i will die for you peter was the first one to deny jesus he denied him not one time he didn't deny him just two times but he denied him three times he denied that he ever even knew the lord and it, the bible says that he went out after jesus saw him jesus seen him and heard him deny him it says peter ran out and repented and it says he wept bitterly in other words he was broken And when the Lord begins to break you, you then become useful for him. And if you think about Moses, Moses was broken. He was was one of the most powerful men in Egypt, one of the second in command. He was the prince of Egypt and he didn't get built up until his self will was broken until he went on the went on the run for 40 years into the wilderness and god used that season of brokenness that season of humility to shape and shape him into who god's called him to be and he used him as a shepherd before he made him a prince again amen And God will use places that are dry, that are difficult, that are hard in order to break you so that you can become the woman of God, so that you can become the man of God that he's called you to be. He'll use relationships. He'll use financial difficulties. Come on. He'll use attitudes. He'll use situations and circumstances to break you in order to get out of you what he desires. Last thing, brokenness attracts God brokenness attracts God. I want you to stand with me. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.